Broadsheet Radio. Goodness gracious, welcome back to Scared History. Gotta share, gotta share, gotta share right now. Gotta share, gotta share, gotta share. History! I love it. Do you know Do you know what ad that's from? Isn't it, is it a, it's something poop related. No, it's like a women who have incontinence or whatever. Yeah, poop related. No, it's like peeing. All right, well, gotta go, it's gotta bathroom go, gotta humor. Go right it, it's potty humor. Hey, everyone! Welcome back. Welcome back. Just just giving you exactly what you expect from us right at the outset. I'm Natalie Younger. I'm Cass Maher. 80% of our reviews say that they can't that you can't tell us apart by our voices. And you know what? That's okay. Everyone thinks that I'm the one that's obsessed with the mummy. <laughs> when it is in fact Cass. It is it is me. I think you've developed an obsession with my obsession. And I, I mean, love that. I love Rachel Weiss. I love Brendan Fraser. I think I've only seen the movie once. It's it's phenomenal. Natalie, how long has it been since we've recorded? Oh, man, there hasn't been a shared history around these parts in, <laughs> in 30 years. It feels like so much longer than one of our normal breaks, though. Yeah, because we, we brought you guys a little spinoff, which now is on its own feed. We took shared history under the kilt. We gave it a little smooch on its little baby bird head, and we released it into the podverse, and it is, it's is—it's going to have its own home, its own feed now. Ugh. So proud. Under the kilt, Adam McNamara is a goddamn dream. Right. And I'm not going to say that I don't love you anymore because of him, Natalie, but... It put some strains on our relationship. It's definitely put some strains on our relationship, but it's good to be back. I've missed you so... I'm starting off you. the season right with with potty humor. We're going to go straight from potty humor to gallows humor because <laughs> as as I said when I welcomed us back to this lovely episode, this lovely show, we're we're starting things off right. It's fall, y'all. We're bringing you some scared history. Oh my gosh. Because what better way to open a season than with spookies? Ooh. Spooky scaries. Um, before we get into that, I do want to bring back a little segment that we did with Tara in our season finale last season that I think we might make a regular thing because I just like talking to you about stuff. And that is, you know, history is all about claiming discoveries that aren't actually yours, like Thomas Edison and Christopher Columbus. So in honor of that, Cass, have you discovered anything lately you'd like to share with our listeners? Anything I'd like to take credit for? Yes. 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 Plant that flag, baby. <laughs> uh, I didn't just discover it because it's on season three, but sex education, not the actual education, the TV show, which I will say, having gone to a Catholic school is much more sex education than I've ever had in my entire <laughs> life. I love it. It's so good. It's, uh, I mean, it's about this this British school where these kids don't know anything about sex. And this one kid whose mom is a sex therapist starts giving advice 
of like really good advice of just like, well, just trust your partner. If you're not feeling comfortable, you know, just, just like normal stuff. He's not trying to like do malpractice shit. He's just talking through things with people. And I'm really loving this season because there's like a new head teacher and she's like, we're not talking about sex at all. We're going to have a sex education where like we split up the boys and the girls and the boys just talk about masturbating and how it's bad. And then the girls are going to talk about how they're all sluts and are going to get pregnant. And then there's this one teacher who the, the headmistress is like, you'll get fired if you talk to them about anything. The teacher is like, guys, I could, I could get fired for this. Um, I can't talk to you about anything, but here are resources. Go help, go check them out. And I just I wish I had had something like that in school. Um, just, ah, I don't know. Going to Catholic school was so sex is bad and evil and it doesn't exist. Let's just pretend it doesn't exist. I love the open conversation and I love when adults and kids can have open conversations about it too. And it's just really been, man, can you tell I'm excited about it? Let's talk about sex, baby. I can tell that I, you know what, talking, trying to talk about sex and Catholic school in the same thing really, uh, is scary. So that's pretty scared history discovery. I'm just going to make everything work. Hold on. Uh, hold on. One last thing. If you want to talk about scared history in Catholic schools, YouTube Pam Stencil. She came to our school. She was basically, she did like a tour of schools where she would be like, you're dirty. And you're would like shout and just like fear mongering, scaring like young teenagers about sex youtube her it is wild and she came to our school pam stencil i love this scary i I hate this but uh i also i'm gonna plant my flag in something that i don't know a ton about yet i literally just discovered this was a thing by accident because i spend too much time on atlas obscura did you know that there's i don't i can't pronounce it because of who i am as a person but also if you saw the word you would see it you would understand it's in a it's in a quote-unquote different language it's a parallel universe to our universe. And it's called, it's, I can't even begin to try. It's K-C-Y-M-A-E-R-X-T-H-A-E-R-E. You, those, none of those letters go together. Exactly. They're all consonants. So what it is, is, and I, the reason I discovered this on Atlas Obscura, maybe I'll like talk about <clears throat> this as a topic sometime because I didn't get a chance to dig into it much. I just was like, what? Um, there's an artist... Uh, writer, and he calls himself a geographer at large, Eames Demetrios. And basically, he's like created this parallel universe to ours that that like has its own elaborate mythologies and stories and artifacts and historical markers. And so I found this on Atlas Obscura because I was looking at a specific country. I was just like looking for an idea for something else. And uh, Weird. So, so it has... Um, and and most impressively, it has these historical markers. So the reason I, the reason I found it on Atlas Obscura is I was looking at different kind of historical landmarks and whatnot in different countries, just because it's a thing that I do for fun. Uh, and I found one that was for a historical marker for this thing that never happened in our universe with these people that never happened in our universe. There. 
There are 133 of these historical markers in 27 countries across six continents. So explain to our listeners what historical markers are, because I like, just had to Google. You know, like whenever you pass like a building uh, or a, a spot on the road and there's that bronze plaque yeah. um, and it says like, this is where Abraham Lincoln once took a shit or something <laughs> like that. I thought you'd say once took a shirt off. Like sexy Lincoln. <laughs> that would have been better. Damn it. Um, but it's great. Like some of these historical markers for this fictional universe, or this uh, parallel universe are like on the sides of mountains, in the middle of the fucking wilderness, in the middle of the city, underwater. Like they're just- they're in- actual, like, like that's wild. Uh, listeners, look look for a link in the doobly-doo. I will put a link. Atlas Obscura actually has- kind of collated all of them. So there's, I know that there's a link you can go to that will have like a map with little pin drops where all of them are, all of the known ones are. And it kind of do a, a, a tour of them, if you will. I I have to look into this more. I just was like, this feels, as a sci-fi lover and a history lover, this feels so aggressively me. Well, flags planted. Uh, these are our, these are now our discoveries. Uh, yes. you're welcome world. All right, everyone, all aboard the history machine. Toot toot. Toot toot. Where am I? When am I? <laughs> these are the things that I think we need to just start saying at the beginning of every one of our stories. Cause so that I don't have to ask you to repeat what year it is. I always single... try to do a lead in of like, so there's this thing. And like, oh yeah, by the way. I'm just going to start interrupting you after that lead in and then being like, where am I? (laughs) When am I? So scared history. Where am I? The Roman Empire. Not very specific because when am I is 89 CE and a little bit of context about the Roman Empire in general. It's an empire. They just keep invading places. They just keep growing. But... It's a story about an emperor, so I think we can assume that we are we are in we are in like basically Rome, um, eighty nine CE. Some things that happened in the eighties. You know, I love the eighties. <laughs> Good hair. CE. Uh, great hair. The Colosseum is finished. The original uh, Pantheon is burnt down. Ooh, a fun throwback to to under the kilt. The Battle of Mons uh, Graubius takes place in the 80s CE. That's a Roman victory against the Caledonians that uh, Caledonians is modern day Scotland. It is the grandeur of this victory is historically questioned because it really, that's a whole other topic, but it really seems like the Romans were just needed to send home a win. And so they really blew out the, oh no. the size of this victory so that they didn't get, I don't know, murdered. Um Rome's invading Germany, Rome's invading Western Russia, etc. The Gospel of Matthew is published. The Gospel of, I think, John is, like, drafted. Yeah, friendly reminder, everyone. The Gospels were written and published in the 80s and 90s CE. That's AD, y'all. Okay. <laughs> but we try to be BCCE girls. BCECE girls We're BCECE girls. I have brought the perfect topic. It is both spooky <gasps> and instructive. I'm going to take you on a journey because there's not that much to this topic other than painting this picture. Cass, you've been invited to a party, but just you're invited. You can't bring like your entourage. You can't bring your security detail, which we all know you have. Yes. Just you. You're invited to this party. 
there are other people invited. You just can't bring plus ones. Got it. You show up and the room is dark as hell. Not because there aren't lamps, but because the entire room is literally black. Black marble floors. The walls are painted black. There's black velvet curtains. There's the tablecloths. The tables are adorned with black tablecloths. Is this going to be like a weird sex thing? Or Who knows? <laughs> black, the, the like... The dinnerware is black. The if there are candelabras, I don't think there were. They're black, etc. How are you feeling when you enter this room? I'm feeling confused. I'm feeling excited, sensual, scared. I'm getting okay. like a real like sexy Dracula vibe here. Oh, okay, okay. Well, it's time to find your seat, which should be easy enough because there are little, you know, like the little table tents. Let's say your name, your little seat marker. How am I going to read that? It's dark. Well, that's fine because they're not little table tents. They are actually like full-size fucking gravestones with your name inscribed in it. Wait, this is in the 80s? See? The whole gothic Right? So you find the gravestone with your name inscribed in it. Uh, how do you find and read this in the dark? You may ask you already did because you're, you're thinking logically (laughs) in this space. That's easy. Just use the light cast upon it by the lamps that, you know, they look familiar to you. That's right. They're pretty much the same kind of lamp that you would hang in a tomb or a mausoleum. Now, how do we feel about our dinner party? I don't like it. Am I choosing to go to this? Is it like show up here and I'm like, ooh, I wonder what's going on. It's like, whoa, what the fuck? I mean, it is definitely whoa, what the fuck? You settle in to what is normally like a really comfortable couch. It is not the usual comfy couch or comfy seat that you get to sit in. It's on, it's like a hard concrete bench. But you're settling in, I guess. Uh, and then the doors, the doors fly open. And in come the servers. That's too kind of a word because they were actually slave boys. But are they? Are they slave boys? Are they human at all? I don't know because they're butt-ass naked and painted black from head to toe. And they're just kind of like moving and kind of dancing around into the space like they're fucking phantoms. That's weird. (laughs) But, you know, you're hungry. And (laughs) we have to put... We have to put our needs before our freaks, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so, but then, then I just want everyone to understand that, like, Roman banquets have a reputation of basically, like, you're thinking togas, you're thinking lavish meals with, like, rich sauces being ca- carried through. Uh, it was customary to eat until you were literally sick, throw up, and then keep eating at these mm-hmm. things. Like, mm-hmm. they're grand events. But at this event, have fun tucking into foodstuffs, a course of meals traditionally served to the dead. How do we feel about that? I don't feel good about any of this. I'm getting tense right now. So great storytelling, but (laughs) shit. What if I also told you that this party is being hosted by your boss? That's an oversimplification. Your emperor. (laughs) A man... (laughs) A man who, like, your life hangs in the balance all the okay. time. Okay, who is emperor now? Oh, I'm... I'm so glad you asked. Welcome to Emperor Domitian's Black Banquet. 
Oh, that sounds like a Game of Thrones thing. It's a funeral themed bash. I think it it's was called, a grave, y'all. It's called Smash. a black banquet. <laughs> <laughs> it's called a black banquet in like retrospect because that is now sort of a known or like a coined term for a lot of these very kind of macabre events that have happened throughout the ages or like other weird shit that other people did. Like if you've ever heard of like hellfire clubs, they would often do lots of weird shit where they're like, mm, we're a club for men to do things that are immoral. Yeah. Mm, we invite Ew. lady guests, AKA sex workers. Mm. Mm, we meet in like the tunnels underneath an old abandoned abbey. And we, it's like rich, it's like rich, uh, uh, like skulls. It's like noble. It, yeah. Yeah. It's like the yeah. rich noble class of like England pretending that they're like saucy and yeah. satanic. But there there were a bunch of other like black banquets in uh, history and in mm-hmm. drama. The, so you in this story, you're a senator. The senators are all invited to this. They're not able to bring like their details, their people, their attendants. So you have strange slaves waiting upon you. Everyone was really paranoid in general. People didn't get poisoned as much as I think we think people did get poisoned. Like poisonings were actually fairly rare, but like anytime somebody drops dead the day after a banquet, everyone's like, (gasps) etc. So this is horrifying. This is like possibly the first one of its kind, or at least the first one to this like level of drama. The senator's pretty much terrified the whole time. They're expecting their executions to be imminent. It doesn't help that like basically nobody's talking this whole time except for Domitian. And all he's talking about is like death and slaughter are the only topics he'll converse on. So that definitely didn't help. So you're just like sitting at this event being like, am I going to be murdered? Is this it? Because the senators and Emperor Domitian weren't exactly on great terms because he, shortly before this happened, he declared himself censor for life. So essentially a magistrate who's like responsible for supervising public morality and overseeing a bunch of aspects of the government, specifically the government's finance. It also gave him the right to control the Senate. So it's a real totalitarian move Mm -hmm. that put him at odds with the Senate. Understandably. (laughs) He also during his reign had increased the military by like at least a third. So he's very popular with the military, very not popular with the Senate. Mm -hmm. When you're invited to his home and everything is a death spectacle, uh stressful yeah a little stressful so then the party's over you're basically shitting yourself the whole time you're taken home on uh litters which i think are like the things where like you're being like carried yeah Mm -hmm. um by the emperor's men so again you're being accompanied home by the emperor's people probably positive that you're about to be like often a back alley of rome because why else is any of this happening then you get home You get home safely and you're like, what the fuck just happened? Still coming down, coming down from that stress high. The second it starts to level out, knock, knock on your door. And it's a messenger from the emperor and you shit yourselves all over again. (laughs) But don't worry, because what is the, what is the guy, what does the messenger have for you? A gift bag. What? 
Domitian is like, surprise, it was all a good laugh and a good time. The gravestones that had your names inscribed in them are actually like solid silver, and they're a gift for you. And also, you can keep the plateware, which I guess was really expensive. And you're like, oh, wow, a goodie bag. And then he's like, but wait, there's more. This slave boy is also yours now. And the senators are like, cool. So so are we going to die? Are we going to die? Like, party favors are not going to unheart attack me, sir. Yeah. So this, the that's that's Domitian's macabre black banquet. He also is, like, kind of known, history has painted him as a hella aggressive and, like, violent emperor. Yeah. But some of that might be because of this, like, gothic bonanza. So I got questions about our boy Domitian. Yeah. Domitian. At what point in the Caesarness was this? Was it New Federation? Was it like was there distrust between the emperor and the senators? Was he power hungry? I mean, all Caesars are, but like, was there beef? Did they think like, oh, he's gonna go Nero on our ass, or was he just like a weird dude who's like pranks? <laughs> like, was there political pranks? Like. You know what I'm asking? Yes. And kind of, like like I said, he made a lot of moves that were very, had a very totalitarian edge. Mm-hmm. Um, he also, like, once executed his nephew and exiled his niece. But, like, I feel like I should start doing, I might start doing for Patreon a mini little series of just, like, um party planning for emperors because <laughs> emperors just doing some just doing the most i read about some maybe this wasn't an emperor's party there's an uh elegus i think had a party his favorite thing to do was to in the middle in the midst of like real food stuffs that he was putting out for you there would also be like fake shit so you'd be like chomping on some peas but like one of the peas is like a pearl that's painted green. And so you're just fucking breaking teeth left and right with this guy. He also did something where there was a bunch of fresh flowers on the roof of like this space. And he had designed the roof to open and drop all the flowers in. And like literally people died because they just got crushed by the immensity of how many flowers were up there. Nero did all sorts of shit. We know, uh, Caligula would like execute your child and then invite you to have an orgy. Like, no, would he invite? <laughs> well, probably, but he'd invite you to like lunch that same day, like the day that your child was executed. And like, if you showed any sign of grief, he would execute you. So you had to just like be all chummy with the man who like executed your son that morning. Uh, <laughs> a thing about Domitian, he had the gallery where he took his daily walk polished like it was like moonstone and he had it like polished to a mirror sheen so he could always watch his back i think all of our like all of these emperors are a little like on edge yeah i mean when you have that much power and privilege and you can do whatever the fuck you want unchecked of you know what i'm not surprised these people do weird things like no one can stop you there's no thrill there's no so you gotta go fucking wild for there to be any sort of like you know if people love doing things that are 
bad. And, you know, for me, that's like, oh, my God, it's 1130 and I'm going to have some ice cream (laughs) because that is the life I lead. But when you can do anything, you're like, ooh, I'm going to be bad today. It's I'm going to pretend to want to murder my senators and then be like, psych, here's a bunch of silver and slaves. Yeah. Strangeness has strangeness has no bounds, no like fucking bored royalty. Did you like, ever watch uh oh what it is it's I think it's I think it might just be called Catherine. It's about Are Catherine you talking the about the great? It's the called great. the great. Yeah. Yep. Where the emperor was just fucking wild and just, just he he doesn't know. If you've ever been called like weird or strange or <laughs> random no weird thing that you've ever done, like wearing mi- mix matching socks and making that your whole personality, <laughs> is is nowhere close <laughs> to what like shit they were doing in the early CEs <laughs> and through like all of the Renaissance. <laughs> I'm just picturing Domitian's like close followers or whatever. Oh my god, did you hear about Domitian's like graveyard party where he like poisoned and freaked everyone out? <laughs> He's so random. <laughs> <laughs> New sponsor alert and a brief history lesson. Did y'all know that the use of hops as a staple ingredient in beer dates back to early drug laws in Bohemia? Before then, folks were blissfully brewing with whatever tasty botanicals they had on hand. Based in Madison, Wisconsin, Herbiary Brewing is bringing back the noble tradition of hopless brews. Learn more about their fermented folklore and where to find them at herbiary.com. Herbiary, that's H-E-R-B-I-E-R-Y.com. <laughs> uh, to answer your question, though, like, he, w- he was kind of known to, like, humiliate or terrify senators with mm-hmm. impunity. Uh, and just kind of constantly remind them that, like, he could end them uh, yeah. and immediately. I, I didn't know if, I mean, and again, with the whole, when you have no limits and no repercussions, you're going to obviously go and do the most. But I didn't know how much of that was, hey, I'm unchecked and bored, or how much of it is, like, I'm sending I'm a message. aware this is a power move. yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's all. I don't know because there's historian Dio Cassius has uh, an account of the banquet in his uh, book Roman History, and now in modern times, people are like, Dio Cassius may have gotten this wrong. It may have been he was maybe too close to it. May have his Mm -hmm. interpretation of events may have been colored by like what he like his personal beliefs and whatnot. Because he he does point out in his work that Domitian pretty much worked towards the political annihilation of the Senate, like systematically, both in structure and then also th- I, through potentially like out-and-out murder. And so the, he claims that the senatorial party regarded him with intense hatred. Yeah. But he also says of this fun bash, quote, every single one of the guests feared and trembled and was kept in constant expectation of having his throat cut the next moment. <gasps> what a good time. Because I know there's there's always been tension between the emperor and the senate because by its very nature they oppose mm-hmm. each other. I'm also the Roman Empire was so long, so yeah. 
I always get confused because sometimes there was a republic, sometimes there was a empire ship, sometimes there was both. I feel like it fluctuated so much that I never know at what point was it like, oh, I'm trying to dissolve the Senate or, hey, this is cool or that whole relationship is so it ebbs and flows so much over such a long period of time. I know nothing about Domitian. So yeah, you can say 89 CE and I understand where that is numerically, but I still have no context because so much shit was going on. Yeah. His, his, I know that his, if this helps you at all, if this helps anyone, if you know a lot about other Roman empires, his predecessor was Titus okay. and his successor was Nerva. And I think both Nerva and Domitian like served in the consulate under Nero. I think. Okay, so they're coming off some crazy shit anyway. Yeah, we're in the Fla- the Flavian dynasty. Oh Flav- yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't you know it? Haven't you ever heard of it? I love it. Okay, so Natalie. Yes. Demi- Domitian, not mm-hmm. Domitius. He's so Domitius. Domitian. If you were to make this movie, who would play Domitian, and who would some of the senators be? Okay, I'm already going to break this. Uh, <laughs> I want to see this play out as a Parks and Recreation episode. <gasps> this, because this seems like some April Ludgate shit. And I think it's like my brain immediately was like, what if we gender bent and we cast Aubrey Plaza? <laughs> Poor Aubrey, always getting just like dark roles uh, as, as Domitian. And then immediately I was like, what if it was literally just the conceit for <laughs> a Parks and Recreation episode? Can we do... It's not Domitian is now a female role. It's just a female's playing the man. They did okay. that in, I actually saw it in, um, I mean, it was a, Aubrey Plaza literally had that in another role. I was going to say, oh yeah, it was that, um, in Legion, in Legion, Legion her character is, the character is written as a male and it's just her playing it. There was a Shakespeare play. I think it was done by National Theater. Oh, it was with. I can't think of her name. She's in Killing Eve, and she's like the older, like, I'm in charge of the government, whatever. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. And she played she played a man, and she wasn't like, it was just really it's cool how they did Fiona that. Fiona Shaw, right? Fiona Shaw, yeah. Yeah. You know it who so else, cool. if, we, if, we did didn't, if we didn't bend this this way, also, my other casting is uh, uh, Michael Shannon as Domitian. Ooh. Because I think it would be dark because he plays dark and scary really well, but he also always has kind of a comedic edge. So I think he could really bask in the, this is kind of a sadistic prank. Uh, but that is, I'm glad that I could have brought you this. Oh my God, um, I love that. Beautiful tale. And I think, it, I think it's useful for all of us as we start going back uh, to, to socializing with friends. Yeah. To really know like wh- what to do or what maybe not to do. Kind of having a guideline of this is like, mm-hmm. oh, is this how we did it before? You know, I'll just copy this. Um, I think this is how social interactions go. So I'm just going to yeah. invite you to my death party. It's funny that you mentioned that um, Plutarch actually wrote a book uh, in like around the 150 CE called Table Talk. That is literally just a whole series of conversation topics for like parties. And I'm like, what if we all just dusted off a copy of that? For, like, our next social occasion. Because I don't know how to interact. So instead, I'll just, like, look at Table Talk by Plutarch and discuss topics such as what causes bulimia and why does Homer call salt divine? What a great way to start a conversation. Do you know what? I want 
every person at that dinner party to have one of those from a different era like the 1960s like housewife of like this is how you should be at a party be quiet and demure and don't talk to the men folk and then meanwhile the person next to you is firing off plutarch's questions and it's like (laughs) when what is the best time of a day for a man to make love to his wife. <laughs> Casual conversation topics. I'm going to go get some more gin. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, I love... Okay, well, add get, that like, to the list of things we need to make happen that we never will. But in the meantime, let's all pile back into the history machine. Let's jump forward to... Natalie, when are Wh- we? Yeah, where am I and when am I? When are we is the 1960s. Ooh. Where are we is Nigeria. So first of all, a little bit of background. Nigeria gains its independence. Anytime a new government takes over, people are skeptical. You know, it's regimes, corruption, all that stuff. So there were these federally funded colleges. They were called federal government government colleges or federal unity schools basically it was like a public school system all of this is colored with some of it's a nigerian slant because a lot of the information i could find about it was from like uh, nigerian government sites this was school system was kind of coming off of the british educational system um so anything that sounds good may be like Nigeria's like, we're dope. Let's let everyone know that. It may have all been great. Um, so there is potentially a bit of a slant to this. Just be aware of that. But there was a lot of doubt bred. There was detribalization. Detribalization. You got there. From the English, as we know happens, uh, they come, they colonize fight everyone against each other, or they try to mix warring tribes, and that causes bullshit. Governor General Namdi Azikiwe became the country's first president. And there were people who were like, well, why should he be in charge? Or he's from a different tribe, or I don't trust the people in charge, their backgrounds, their um, capabilities and whatnot. So they created these federally funded colleges, or basically secondary schools or boarding schools. And it was truly merit-based. So you had to take a test to get into them. And when I say they're based off, like, British educational system, they're different than the U.S. They've got their their testing and the way you get into different schools and levels and bullshit. I don't understand. I've, been, um, I've spent, like, the last several weeks speaking to Scots and... I don't understand the school. I still they're don't. They're like A they're like, levels. And yeah, I was and I'm like, like oh, I you got no. an A? No. I'm like, how old would you, I, like, what are you, 10? I don't yeah. know. I've, they said college. Sense. I'm thinking like university, but then no, it's, it's like basically no, it's high, high school. school. Yeah. So you had to take a test and you had to be the best and the brightest. And the way they did this was that people from wealthy communities, people from poor communities, I think there started off, there was only like three, like one in each kind of region. So anyone could go there, no matter who you were, where you were, what you came from. So it blended a lot of tribes, religions, socioeconomic backgrounds, geographical backgrounds. And they became these kind of like cultural high points. Like these people were fucking geniuses. And it was federally funded. Federally federally funded. So it was public school. But yeah. they were like 
awesome. So I think public school in general is like awesome everywhere but the United States. Yeah, I know. When I hear public school, it's like, whoa, they fit. And I went it out. to a great public school. Yeah. But like it is it is so inconsistent based on the means of the region of the yes. specific area and allocation of funds therein. Yeah. That let's yeah. talk about Chicago public schools. Yeah. Um Anyway, so they started off like super elite. And nowadays, from what I've read, they are more akin to the American public school system. Just all around. Um, so kind of deteriorated. But started off super tight, super strong. Very elite. Very difficult to get into. It was breeding competition. They wanted the best and the brightest. They wanted people to know the kids going into government and to these high-powered roles deserve to be there. And it bred unity, unity schools. So because of that competition, uh, there were these, like, scary stories, these moral stories, these... (sighs) boarding school tragedies and stuff that was a really long intro to set up madame koi koi there's many different versions of the story but the main one is that there is this teacher madame koi koi at one of these elite boarding schools and so the kids again coming from different regions they slept there there were dormitories they lived there and Madame Koi Koi was this beautiful teacher and she wore these red high heels and she was like gorgeous and never thought she was really pretty but she was like a sadist and she would beat the students and she would just like yell at them and be mean to them and just brutal and scare the shit out of them. So one day like all the students told on her or something and she got fired and then she one story says she like murdered some students and then some of them say she got fired she's fucking pissed died in a car accident and then came back and haunted and the reason they call her Madame Koi Koi is because when her red heels would walk down the, the hallway, they made that sound like Koi 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 Koi. You know, like a little yeah, click, yeah, click, yeah, click yeah. sound. Oh, God, that's a very like visceral memory of hearing somebody's like heels down the like linoleum or whatever your yes. floors in your school were tiled with. And it's a very distinct echo. Yes. And it was so funny because reading it, it's K-O-I, K-O-I. So I'm thinking like, koi koi, like (laughs) fish or like, I was like, that's not the sound that high heels make. And then I was like making the sound. I was like, oh, that's it. Because it's that. And then the echo. And that gave me like shivers. Cass, Cass, they did it. Did wait what now? They did it. They they finally did it. Greatest store in the universe. Who? Raygun. They did it. They're the greatest store in the universe. Oh. Says who? Says Raygun. Oh. Okay. I'll buy it. You know what else you can buy? Clothing, home goods, and time travel supplies at raygunsite.com or at any of their six stores. Exactly. Use promo code Sherry later to save on your next order. 
That's raygunsight.com, promo code SHARIALATER, all one word. So basically, it's it's an urban legend, and people will try to, like, place it and be like, well, it was actually at the school, or or it was, you know, we, can't, we don't know which teacher it was, but we know she was real. I think it was an urban legend, because after she died and she came back, she would, her ghost would terrorize students. But she would only terrorize students who were out of bed after dark, or uh, who showed up too early, to, too early to class. Um, people who weren't where they're supposed to be at times when they weren't supposed to be there. She would do anything from like whispering creepy shit. She would drop things, hit people, like typical ghost shit. Or she would kill students. So if, like, a student died mysteriously, like, it was Madame Koi Koi. You better stay in your dormitory. But I didn't tell this story near as scary as, like, when I was reading. I was like, oh, my God. Like, it's fake, but also, is it real? And then there's one that said that there was one story that I hate because it's, it's very gratuitous. It said that uh, she was actually a student and five boys raped her. So she hung them all from a mango tree. And then every year, five boys were hung from the mango tree. And it's called the hanging yard or something. Which, don't use sexual assault as a narrative point. I fucking yeah. hate that. But either way, her story is very much of like revenge. Because like, oh, I got fired. Or she was just fucking sadistic. And I, they said she became a teacher so she could exert that power and, like, hit kids and shit. We both she, brought <gasps> stories of, of potential sadists. Yeah. I, like, have chills. And just that image of this, like, beautiful teacher with red high heels, just very, like, creepy and evil. And, like, coy, 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 coy. You have, like, a moment of, like hot for teacher starts playing yeah and but then it like shifts to like yes some very eerie that's like your that's like score. a very yeah that's a very femme fatale horror movie trope and i love it and yeah and i say set in the 60s because that's where this urban legend came from it was these super elite schools were trying to keep you in line uh that kind of another trope of like boarding schools talking about urban legends and we're away from our parents and let's try to scare each other spooky scary and when i hear boarding school i think of like all boys all girls whatever Mm -hmm. that was another thing about these unity schools and which is why i love this story because it brought so much history and that i didn't know about of this really great school system and when things are merit-based and when they're competition-based it gives you confidence in your leaders when you know that I know your daddy didn't buy this, buy you into this, or, you know, I know that your tribal background isn't, you know, in this region, you're going to, like the Igbo people, Tolu Taiwa came in talking about the NSARS movement, and I remember her talking about the Igbo people, and then I was reading and they had mentioned that tribe. Well, if you're from this tribe and you're going to that side of the country, like, you're not getting precedence because you're not of this tribe. But if you're getting in power, then it's because you earned it and you deserve it. So 
anytime elitism comes involved, elitism comes involved, there's going to be corruption. So I think that kind of maybe led to the downfall of this unity school system. And when I say there might be a Nigerian slant or or a British mm-hmm. slant or whatever, it's just that them talking about any new government, there's destabilization, especially in a formerly colonized British land. You know, they kind of set it up to when they leave, shit falls apart. Yeah. I love ghost stories as an urban legends as allegory or as like a medium to mm-hmm. teach a lesson or guide etiquette. Yeah. Like, I love the idea that for centuries we've just been using horrifying stories on mostly children to get them to like go to bed when they're supposed to because (laughs) otherwise like the 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 boogeyman is gonna attack them or to like eat their vegetables or else i don't know fucking baba yaga is gonna come get them (laughs) i was just thinking of baba yaga i'm always thinking of baba yaga (laughs) Actually, I remember reading this article about indigenous Inuit or Canadian Alaskan tribe who are scientifically or like allegedly the the happiest people or at least the most calm and least anxious and they can control their emotions really well. And someone was like, how do these people, like they don't get angry if they stub their toe, they don't yell if they, you know. They, they don't, don't invite a bunch of their friends over for a weird gothic Okay, that's fest. normal. <laughs> but it the whole article sets it up like, oh, the sociology of this inviting community of trust between parents and whatever. I was like, okay, where are they going for this? And they're like, they don't yell at their kids. So that way, you know, if you learn to yell, that's how you respond to things. They don't yell at their kids, so they don't have these emotional outbursts. The way they teach their kids is by telling them scary stories. If you go to the ocean, you'll be swallowed. Which I'm like, I don't know that those two correlate. Because then I feel like you just have scared fucking people all the time. Yep. But they never yell at their kids or something. If their kid does something bad, they're like, well, you're going to get murdered. Like your arm's going to get cut off if you do that. So there's like no need to yell. Uh- <laughs> I'm like, that. I don't know that that tracks. I don't know about control based on fear. Well, uh, yeah. Historically it made... speaking, it has it's worked for a while and then it's backfired. Yeah, like hardcore. I love this sadistic journey that we've gone on. Uh, I have a very vivid picture of who I'm casting as Madame Koi Koi in my head, but I want to know who you would cast in the role of Madame Koi Koi. Ooh, Deny Gorira. Oh. She's like gorgeous and kind of like in you know like she seems so like warm and inviting but she's an amazing actress so I could see her playing the like oh I'm the beautiful teacher hello and then the door closes and she's like no oh and like cold and creepy oh I think she could pull that off so oh, you good sure. also um do you know where she was born Zimbabwe? Grinnell, Iowa. Oh. I know she's she's Zimbabwean American, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But she was born in Grinnell. So there's that. 
my casting, all I was picturing, this, this, this is not who I would actually cast, but when you were describing mm-hmm. just uh, the red high heels and the it's scary but sexy, I immediately was just thinking of Lucy Liu and Charlie's <laughs> Oh, yeah. The, like, the whip. <laughs> yeah, it's all, like, immediately that's all I was thinking about. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. Also, what I love about her, which is why I think she's such a good actress, she's a she's a playwright. And, but I didn't realize she, it says here she started writing to give herself like better acting roles or to write play, like parts that she knew she could play really well. Yeah, reminds me a lot of like Phoebe Waller Bridge. Like a lot of Phoebe Waller Bridge's characters are all not the same, but it's Phoebe Waller Bridge. It's Phoebe. So it's Phoebe writing for Phoebe. Phoebe writing for Phoebe. And hey, I trust her to do it. I trust her to do it. And I trust Denai to do whatever the fuck she yeah, wants. Yeah, De- Denai can do no wrong. She can do no wrong. Except like murder students. But yeah, well, she's that supposed would be to in that wrong. role. <laughs> it's not her fault. It's in the script. Yes. I, what a spooky, spooky day. I just found something in my notes that I forgot about that kind of answers your question. I just want to. I just want to add a little bit of color to Domitian really quickly, um, because I just found something in my notes that if we want to talk about him being a sensitive soul or maybe being like really aggressive, um, I just saw something that said that he was allegedly extremely sensitive regarding his baldness, and and so he was prone to just like sensitivity and suspicion and yeah i will also say not in his defense but like dude was emperor for a very long time that stress adds up to like being being just suspicious all the time because it's like i've made it this long yeah someone's gonna off me or i'm gonna there's it's it's early roman emperor like literally every decade on the decade there's an epidemic Mm -hmm. that like they're fighting I love the villains, and by love, I mean I always find them enticing and interesting and draw you in when they are that, like, hyper-violent or sadistic or, like, super crazy, and you realize it's because they are, like, super sensitive. But I hate when that's used as a... As a crutch. As a crutch or as a, like oh, they're like this because of this. Like, it's okay. It's not okay, but we're more understanding and empathetic of people who do horrible things if they were, like, troubled or something. Yeah, trying to humanize their inhumanity. Yeah. There's so many sensitive people. There's so many people who are troubled and have either mental illness or bullied or... And they don't go on... Killing sprees or sadistic, weird, murdery shit. Look, I, it's not. I, which his is why I hate fault. the like the villain empathizing now. Like each villain gets their own story. Yeah, they all have to be re- redeemable, and it's like yeah. they don't. Sometimes don't, they're just bad. And 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 I'm okay with like. I love a complex character, but yeah, well, and you know, like Wicked was an interesting way of doing that. Of like, hey, what about her side of the story? But that goes more into like propaganda of you know human rights like a lot of her stuff was about the animals and all Mm -hmm. that stuff so it's taking a different spin it's not saying like she did all these bad things it was it was doing that the victory rights 
the history mm-hmm. of like what if the loser got to write it and tell the real story not oh i did do all of these horrible things but it's because i'm really sad that's like when people do the well hitler was only bad because people didn't like his art fuck that we don't not everyone is redeemable domitian was only bad because he was like really stressed he wasn't able to conquer caledonia he wasn't (laughs) able to conquer dacia dacia doc i don't remember he and he and and his hair was thinning what would you do what would you like do? i get it like i understand <laughs> do you know who i no my nephew forever yeah short men tiny penis men or balding men yeah. that is used as an excuse for fucking everything <laughs> grow a pair literally yeah figuratively. i uh oh i just love this this time on scared on scared history we're mostly talking about sadists but i like that mine's like we he threw this party it was super fucking weird everyone was scared the whole time we don't really know why he threw the party in the first place it could have just been a fun cruel prank yeah or it could have been uh it could have been in like recognition of like to honor the men who had been lost on on one of his failing military campaigns oh because that's how you do that yeah and then also with yours, it's like, we don't know if any of the actual story is true because it has become like urban legendized. Yeah. And it's a scary story that is used. Our mine was a scary event that was used to control people. And yours is a scary story that is used to control and influence people. <laughs> so how to scare friends and influence people. Uh, we've been posting fun stuff all the time so that you miss our voices but you don't miss the visuals you can check out all these visuals and maybe we'll have some really bad character pictures of diana garai and you can see all that on our social media at shared pod on twitter and instagram you can also email us questions corrections and suggestions at shared history podcast at gmail.com email us your casting decisions DM them to us. Learn from some of our wonderful listeners that if you DM us and ask us for a uh, a treat, if you will, or if you leave us a review and send us a screenshot of you leaving us a review, we will send you goodies. And they will not be headstones with your name inscribed in them. I promise. It may be pure silver. Ooh. It won't be. But. It won't. It will. We do not have that kind of budget. <laughs> we don't have it. Check out all the links in the doobly-doo of uh, visual aids, how we you can support this podcast, which you know and love. And until next time, scare, scare you later. Oh, fuck, I didn't say scare. You want to do it again? Yeah. Scare, scare you later. later.